Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. A few weeks ago, I let you know that I was going to take a couple weeks off because I was feeling overwhelmed. Well, (laughs) as soon as I gave myself a moment of downtime, I discovered that I was even more exhausted than I realized. So I need a longer hiatus than I originally thought. But sometimes the universe has perfect little gifts for us, and this is one of them. I have a handful of interviews that got caught in a time warp a while back. At the end of 2019 and early 2020, I got out ahead of my skis and recorded way more interviews than I could reasonably process for release on the show. I put myself on an interview hiatus for a few months to catch up, but even so, I had so much more material than I could get through. And then the world started exploding. The pandemic, the racial justice movement, economic inequality issues, etc. And it became clear to me that I needed to work much harder to increase the diversity of stories I was telling on the show. Not just racial diversity, though that's part of it, but all types of diversity. People in different size and shape bodies, people in bodies of different abilities, people of different ages and economic brackets, etc. As I've pushed those stories forward, I still had this cache of interviews from a year ago that had never been published. They are no less interesting and no less worthy than any other story, But due to my shifting focus, they fell through the cracks. So now feels like the perfect time to share them with you. In order to keep giving you new content while also giving myself a break, I'm going to release these interviews in their uncut form. You'll get to hear all of the stumbles and unfinished thoughts and speaking over each other that get cut out of a fully produced episode. So let's jump into this first real and raw interview. Donya is a 46-year-old cisgender female who describes herself as white, bisexual, monogamous, and in a committed relationship. When I interviewed Donya, apparently I was not yet asking people to describe their body shape and size, and many of the low-down Q&A questions were different. It's interesting to see how much has changed over a relatively short period of time. I'd love to hear from you. Are there shifts in the interviews that you like better the way they were? Or things you love the way I'm doing now? What keeps you coming back to this podcast? And what kind of conversations would you like to hear going forward? 
drop me an email at Leah at Good Girls Talk About Sex, or find me on Instagram at Good Girls Talk, and let me know what you'd like to hear. Thank you so much for being a part of the Good Girls Talk community. And now I am very pleased to introduce Danya. Danya, I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So the first question that I ask everybody is, what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure I have a clear first memory. There's sort of like an awareness that sort of all runs together. Um, I was probably nine or 10 and I found um, someone's book of erotica and started reading it and felt, felt aroused. Um, And I, and I, and I remember thinking that I wasn't sure if it was like, like I knew it was physical, but also it was mental, you know, and I was aware of that connection all the way from the very beginning. Which I think is interesting. Yeah. What can you tease apart? What was, what was physical and what was mental for you? Like, how did you understand that distinction at that age? Well, I think I recognize that the, the physical arousal came from the reading and it wasn't happening just, you know, randomly. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure that I explored masturbation around that time. I don't remember exactly if how that happened, if I experimented with masturbation, thinking about the book or actually reading the book, I really don't remember those details. But um, it was definitely tied into the story, which, you know, I was a big reader when I was a kid. So reading was a very mental activity for me. So I guess that was that was how I got to that connection. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anybody distinguish those two things as a child. And only recently am I really teasing those two things out for myself as an Mm -hmm. adult, Mm -hmm. the physical turn on versus the mental turn on is actually something I've been talking a lot about with my therapist this last week. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Good timing. (laughs) It's fascinating that you should bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, you just mentioned masturbation. Um, yeah. Do you remember your first experiences with masturbation and what that was like for you? Um, again, not really specifically. I think that um, I think for very many years of my life, my sexual experience has been sort of on the borderline between feeling ashamed and feeling good. And that was my experience with early masturbation too. Like it felt good and it seemed like something that felt good I should do. And it was just me and it was private, you know, it didn't seem like it was a bad thing, but also I had a sense that there was something that maybe I shouldn't be doing or I shouldn't know about, or if someone found out I was going to get in trouble, like I always had a sense of it wasn't quite okay. Mm. What were you hearing in your childhood home about sex and sexuality, if anything? It was not talked about a lot. My parents were divorced when I was nine. 
Um, and my mom got remarried. I'm just trying to think through the timing. My mom got remarried to someone fairly quickly and he was not, uh, emotionally open. He wasn't a good talker. Like this was not someone that we were going to have open (laughs) conversations (laughs) about pleasure or sex or any of that. Um, I remember some conversations about, and I don't remember if it was from my mom or from my dad, but I remember some conversations about my mom being, my parents were involved in the SCA when they were young before they had me, which is um, the Society for Creative Anachronism. And it's an organization of people who role play um, medieval times. So it's it's sort of been up and down in popularity. But in the 70s, I think it was a pretty popular thing to do. So men and women dressed up and like had revelries and jousting fights and uh, stuff like that. A little bit like the Renaissance Fair, but they had their own uh, events and organization. Um, and so my parents were pretty involved with that before I was born. And there was a little bit of commentary from my parents at some point, I don't remember at what age, that my mom was a vixen. That was the word that Hmm. I think my dad used that my mom was a vixen. And, and I remember looking up the word and like a female Fox, like what is really not getting the context. And, um, but my experience of my mother was that sex was a not topic. Like we don't talk about it. We don't, you know, explore it. We don't refer to it. It's, it's, we, it's just not discussed. Mm. So there was that disconnect between my father say, and, and it sounded like when he said, it sounded like it was a positive thing. Like, you know, it was fun. It was part of the enjoyment of their life together, their experience of this group that they both really enjoyed. Um, and yet with my mom, it was like, do not go there. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. it was very confusing. So where were you learning about sexuality if it wasn't at home? Yeah, uh, uh, probably books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably yeah, just sought it out myself. <laughs> yeah, um, I do remember finding a copy of, uh, oh, what is the name of that book? It was so popular at the time. The Joy of Sex mm-hmm. in my mom's you know, side cabinet after she got married to my stepfather, I found a copy of that book. And I remember just pouring over it and being like, wow, this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I I, have a... I wouldn't have asked her about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that book plays a big role in my life, which my parents had copy copies, multiple copies, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, but it wasn't something I looked at at home. But uh, one day, it was, I think, fifth grade, a group of us were at the town library after school. Um, and I was very, very shy and introverted. And they were all gathered around a copy of The Joy of Sex that they had found on the library shelves. And I was <laughs> sort of standing... library. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and I was standing on the outside of the group because I was, you know, too shy to be yeah. pushing my way into the group. So they put the book down after a few minutes, and I went over and picked it up to see what it was. And sort of the head boy, you know, the the leader of the pack, looked at me and went, what are you, a sex pervert? 
and I at at ten years old took that in and was out. I hit th- that moment. I think had a huge thing to a huge amount to do with how um, repressed I became because mm-hmm. I was afraid that any interest in sex whatsoever meant that I was perverted, mm-hmm. ignoring the fact that they had just been looking at it, right. but somehow looking at it alone was, was different. different. Yeah. 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 So I have, I have feelings about that book. <laughs> 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 yeah. And my, my complicated feelings around it were that I did not get along with my stepfather and mm-hmm. I very much wanted him to go away And then I found this book in my mom's cabinet, which inferred to me that they were having sex, (laughs) which was, (laughs) you know, right. But also I was like, oh, but if she's having sex with him, that must mean she loves him or likes him at least. Oh, wow. And so he's not going anywhere, you know? So there was this really, I had a different set of complicated feelings about it. Yeah. And I also remember that her diaphragm was in that drawer and I did get brave enough to ask her about the diaphragm but not the book. <laughs> she must have known I'd found both, but she, we did not discuss the book. She did. And she did tell me factually what the diaphragm was, but she was so uncomfortable that we didn't take that conversation any further. Well, that was actually really brave because presumably in order to ask her about the diaphragm, you had to say you were snooping in her right. drawer. <laughs> <laughs> I must have had a reason. I don't remember, but I must have been like been cleaning in her room or something like, or she left it. Maybe she left it on the top. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't remember feeling like I had to admit that I'd been snooping in her drawer. So it must have been something else. <laughs> but soon after that, I remember her... No, it must have been a while after that because I was sexually active already by the time this happened. But she sent my dad, who only had part-time custody of us. We really only saw him like every other weekend. She called my dad up and asked him to give me the sex talk. But at this point, it was like, it must have been years later because I was already on the pill. (laughs) I'd lost my virginity. I was like, so too late. Like you got here way too late. (laughs) The house, the horse was out of the barn by then. So what were your first sexual experiences with another person as opposed to with a book? Um, yeah, I don't know why my memories about this are so fuzzy. You'd think they'd be really clear. But I I developed very early. And I am very curvy and have large breasts. And I was a dancer. So I was often wearing clothes that really showed my body a lot. And I got a lot of sexual attention pretty mm. young. So How I had just pretty young, probably 11 or 12. Oh yeah. Um, and it was, it wasn't overt sexual attention. I mean, compared to probably what 11 and 12 year old girls experience these days, it was probably very innocent, but I was definitely aware that boys were, paying attention to me in a way that they were not paying attention to other girls and that they wanted to be around me in a way that was different than what I saw my friends experiencing. Um, And it felt powerful. It didn't really feel negative. It felt powerful, a little bit dangerous because I didn't Mm -hmm. quite understand it, but it felt like I had something they wanted and therefore I had power over them. Mm -hmm. Um. And, and also I had this experience from being younger and having my sexual pleasure be 
good. It felt good, you know? So I knew that there was this connection between things that people could do together that felt good and this interesting frisson of I had something they wanted and I didn't quite know what I had. (laughs) Um, So probably my youngest encounters were ironically through youth group events because that was the place where I was in the company of boys most Mm. often my parent my when my parents divorced my mom started going to an Episcopal church and so my brother and I started attending with her and we went to youth group events and it was you know it was a fun social activity I never really had any particular faith in the church um I kind of feel like you have to start that younger Mm. (laughs) if it's gonna (laughs) stick um so for me it was just a social activity and um we went to, you know, weekend long things when we were teenagers that were, you know, all about being good Christian kids. And of course, we were all fooling around in the sidelines. <laughs> um, because that's what teenagers do. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of kissing and chaste groping, chaste-ish mm. groping. When um, you say chaste, you mean like over the clothes? Uh, yeah, over clothes, yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> And, you know, there were a couple boys that I really liked and a couple boys that I really liked that didn't like me and a couple boys I liked that did like me. And so, you know, there was all that part of it going on. Um, and I, I mean, I had a couple boyfriends that I, I, I had a pretty serious boyfriend for quite some time who we explored a lot with our clothes on. Um, and I remember having orgasms during that period with, you know, with my clothes on. And I waited a long time. He really wanted to have sex. And I waited a pretty long time to say yes to that. I was, I know I was 16 the first time. And I think we had probably been seeing each other for seven or eight months. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember what activities you were doing that brought you to orgasm with your clothes on? Just rubbing. (laughs) Yeah. Was so was he putting his hand there? Were you rubbing clothed genitals? Do you remember? I I think his it was either his hand or his leg mm-hmm. probably most of the time. Yeah, I mean it was always in the front or the back seat of the car. Yeah. <laughs> Parking parked somewhere. He was about a year older than me, so he had a driver's license. And hormones at that point uh-huh. are so rampant oh, that yeah. uh yeah. hair trigger, I'm sure. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is what was so interesting to me was that the reason I finally said yes was because it felt good. It felt good to fool around and I was having orgasms and, you know, but then once we started having real sex, like actual intercourse, I didn't have inner, I didn't have orgasms anymore. And I was like, this is so disappointing. Wow. (laughs) Because I didn't know he, you know, he didn't know how to really pleasure me like it had been sort of accidental I think that I had been Mm -hmm. having an orgasm but and I'm not even sure he was aware of them the way I was Uh Um, so he didn't know he wasn't particularly attached to my pleasure he was much more attached to his own pleasure Um, I didn't know or have the courage or strength to say hey wait hold up you know, this is what I need. I, I mean, I didn't learn that for years, many years. So it was very disappointing for me to actually have sex. And I and I remember thinking, I'd really like to go back to what we were doing before. 
And once you progressed to sex, was uh, we don't get taught the words or even the concepts. So it's like yeah. once you got to sex, there was no way to introduce the concept of how to go back to the prior activity Mm-mm. that would have brought you pleasure. No, and it was like you know the phrase you used earlier, like the horse is out of the barn. Like I felt like once I'd said yes, I could not say no. Yes. And that yeah. was really disappointing and yeah. frustrating for me because I actually didn't like it. It's such an interesting thing, too, the way that in your particular dynamic, um, with clothes on, you were having orgasms and presumably he was not. As soon as yeah. clothes came off, he was having orgasms and you were not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you didn't have the skills or the tools or the language to get to a place where you could both have orgasms. Right. Yeah. And that is sad. Yeah, definitely language. Definitely language was um, an impediment and courage. Yeah. I mean, I really think it was courage too. Mm-hmm. Were you getting any kind of sex ed in school? I think we did. I do remember this would have been like fourth grade. So much, much younger, there was a sex ed class, but it was really all about how to deal when your period comes. It was yeah. in how not to get an STD, which was basically yep. don't have sex. So it wasn't really <laughs> sex ed, <laughs> even though that's what they called it. Yeah. Um, and, and what I've heard actually from friends my age who went through the same, you know, California educational system was that the boys were getting some level of sex ed. They were talk- talking to the boys about um, ejaculation and intercourse a little bit. And the girls were getting how to deal with your period. Yeah. Yeah. I go on this, I go on this rant fairly frequently, how sex ed basically teaches that boys have wet dreams, get hard ons and ejaculate and girls get their period and are miserable. Right. And so yeah, we pay more attention to boys pleasure, because we don't know that girls are capable of pleasure based on the education we're getting. Yeah. And in fact, I remember the literature that they gave us included how to put on a Kotex pad that had like the belt. Uh-huh. Like it was so out of date. It was wow. hilarious. And I mean, even in fourth grade, I was like, that is not what they look like. Like I've seen <laughs> this stuff in my mom's cabinet. There is no belt. Um, and I remember wow. even at the time, like how useful is this? Like it made me doubt everything else they said because I knew that it was so completely out of date. Mm-hmm that it was probably not useful to me. So with that first boy, how long were you sexually active with him once your clothes came off? Um, I think we were together for a few more months after that. I, I really think my feelings for him cooled at that point because it wasn't, you know, of course that was all he wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it wasn't so enjoyable for me. And it got to a point where I felt like he only wanted to be with me to have sex and we weren't enjoying each other's company anymore. Mm. And I wasn't enjoying the sex. So why bother, you know? Um, But that was also around the time that So he was older than me. I think he may have graduated high school that year. And then he and he lived in another city. So there was 
distance. There was, we were at different points in our education. Like I think he maybe graduated from high school and then he wasn't sure if he was going to go to college or like the junior college or not. And I had opinions about that. I thought he should go to college and he didn't want to. So I got a little judgy. Um, <laughs> and I, and then I think I met somebody else that was at my high school. So I don't like, you know, teenage relationships. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're sort of volatile. <laughs> but it it wasn't like it was any one thing with him. It was, you know, just not feeling not feeling it with him anymore. Yeah. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There's no single answer that's right for everyone. So I'm going to help you discover what's right for you and we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown while going too slow can be infuriating. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM or consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free, no-obligation discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching coaching. When you entered your next sexual relationship, was it any different? Did you have pleasure? Was there maybe even some desire to not get to naked sex because of your prior experience? Yeah, I I think that I did. I don't even remember who came after that. Um, I think I did have a sense that I did not want to have be having sex so soon. So, um, and always in my relationships, I've been the one who's like, let's go slow, let's wait a while. Um, but. I also felt like now I understood the thing that the boys wanted from me. Like now I understood the power dynamic Mm. and, and I remembered that it felt good. And so there was part of me that was like, well, maybe with someone it's going to feel good. Maybe I just haven't found the right someone yet. So there was, Mm -hmm. there was a little bit of a, a, an inner disconnect 
with me where it was like, on one hand, I didn't want to do it because I wasn't enjoying it. On the other hand, I was like, well, I somewhere it's got to feel good. And also there was that book called The Joy of Sex. <laughs> Someone must enjoy this, right? Um, unfortunately, I didn't remember much of the teaching in that book. I might have enjoyed it more. Um, but yeah, I think that I sort of went back and forth with partners after that. And I also started dating much older guys. Um and I don't remember exactly why that was, but some of it was just maturity level. I think I was just more mature than the guys that I was in high school with. And I was sort of beginning to be at the cusp of high school to college. And so I started dating older guys. Um, and of course, they had a lot more experience because they were older and had been having sex longer. And so their expectations were more like, oh, yeah, we just will, you know. Mm, mm -hmm. So during that period, were you still masturbating and learning your own body's pleasure responses? Or had that gone by the I, wayside for partners? Yeah, I think I, ha I think I did. Um, I honestly don't remember. But I'm sure I did. I mean, I'm sure what happened is I would come home from a date and be totally frustrated. And then I would probably masturbate <laughs> before I went to sleep. <laughs> but I don't actually remember one way or the other. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you had a sexual experience with another person, PIV intercourse, um, or penis and vagina intercourse, mm -hmm. uh, where you did have pleasure? It must have happened at some point, but I don't remember. I mean, I do remember a lover that I had much, much later who was very, very focused on my pleasure. And that was so notable yeah. <laughs> that I wanted to be with him all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I had a, I had a boyfriend who we were together for, he was a long-term boyfriend. We were together for quite a long time and he was... Um, he made a big deal about being, you know, wanting me to have an orgasm every time. But it was also like when he figured out the way, the one way to make me come, then that was the only way we ever did it. And that wasn't mm. very exciting. Either. <laughs> like it, was, it worked, but it was not, mm -hmm. you know, not super pleasurable. Um, did you feel in that situation where he was really focused on... I'm going to make you come. Did you feel like it was about you or did you feel like it was about his ego? At the beginning, I thought it was about me. And then much, you know, after time, I realized it was much more about him. Mm. And it was about his image of himself as a good lover. Yeah. 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 I think that happens so often for so many of us. Yeah. So let's talk about the the lover who was super focused yeah. on your pleasure. What, <laughs> what was that experience? What did he do differently? Um, so that was during a period when I was in an open relationship. And I was in big into a goth scene. So we were going out clubbing a lot. And it was very costumey. So we would get dressed up to go to the club. And I'd be wearing like corsets and layers of dresses and um and I think that was a piece of it was that there was all this uh costume involved and he was one of the DJs and he was younger than me so there was a little bit of excitement just about like he was mm. one of the cool people 
(laughs) (laughs) which I have never considered myself to be. Um, And he was young, you know, and and I was like 26 or 27 by then. So he was probably 23. And I had a, my partner was several years older than me. And I was already noticing like men's sexual response changes as they get older, even though that, you know, not a, that's not a major amount of time, but um, this guy was like, on all the time. (laughs) He was always ready. (laughs) And I don't know how much of that was his personality and how much was his age, but it was, it was novel, you know, it was fun. (laughs) Um, And so there was a, um, because it was an open relationship, I had to schedule time to be with him. So I like had to clear it with my boyfriend and then schedule time to be with him. And he had other lovers too. So it was always like this complicated thing. And then um, we had no pretense of doing anything but sex. So, like, we Mm. weren't dating. We were Mm -hmm. just fucking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and I think that the focus on that gave us the freedom to just be totally open and, like, what feels good? This feels good. Um, And he loved giving oral sex. And I'd never met a man who really enjoyed it. Like, I'd met men who would do it and we're reasonably good at it but this guy was like it was his favorite thing to do hmm. and he was very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and i think that that um that component of that he really enjoyed it really made it different for me because it wasn't about his ego it was actually <clears throat> excuse me it was it was actually just something that he enjoyed and it was almost like i could give him this gift of like here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Let me lay down for you. Um, <laughs> and it was so awesome for me. Like, you know, like it, it was something that he enjoyed and then I enjoyed it too. And it, I don't know, it was just a completely different experience than it being, I feel, I feel like a lot of my sexual experiences up to then had been a little bit transactional. Like you do this for me and then I'll do that for you. And, and with this particular man, it was just fun. Mm. And I had never really experienced that way of being before. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you were in an open relationship at that point. How did you come to being in an open relationship? Because that is so not the cultural norm. How did you come to that? And how did you negotiate it? Yeah, uh, it was not my choice. It was not my preference. But um, I really cared for this particular guy and he told me early on you know I'm I'm not monogamous I don't want to be in a monogamous relationship and I was <clears throat> and I was like well you know that's not really my thing but I'll try it you know hey I've never tried it before maybe it's okay um and then by the time I realized it really wasn't my thing I was in love with him and it was kind of mm. late you know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um But so it was partly just that's how he came into the relationship. So if I wanted to date him, I had to try it. And he was also, he and I also were um, in the Renaissance fair scene. And there is a huge amount of polyamorous relationship Ah. happening behind the scenes in the, at least in the California, Northern California Ren fair scene, maybe everywhere, but that's the only one I have experience with. Um, lots of bisexual people, lots of um, light BDSM, lots of poly. Like mm-hmm. It's just the norm in that world. Mm-hmm. So everybody around me was doing it. So 
if I wanted to be in that scene, I was going to be bumping up against it. And I sort of felt like a prude saying no. And also I didn't really have an experience that made me say that's definitely not for me. So I sort Mm -hmm. of felt like I should try it, you know? And then coming out of it, did you know that's definitely not for you? I, I knew that the way we, yeah, I guess I I should say yes. Yes. I knew it was definitely not for me. Although I had also learned to respect that there were, or to, to understand that there were many ways to be poly, some of which were um, healthier than others. And there are, (laughs) that's one way to say it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even with permission. I mean, even in a relationship where you have good communication and permission, there are ways to be healthier with an open relationship than others. And I had met people who had what I saw as very solid primary relationships and very healthy communication. And I really respected them for that. It was not something I had ever experienced myself. And also I knew that it, it just didn't feel good for me mm. in any way that I had tried it. But even observing how they did it in a healthy way, I was just like, I don't think that's for me. Yeah. Any sort of non-monogamy. And I I have a lot of friends who are non-monogamous, whether they are in open relationships or poly relationships. That's a huge portion of my friend's circle at this point. Um, in order to do it well, you must have good communication. Yeah. There is no replacement for good communication if you are doing something that is outside the cultural norm to begin with, but also if you are um, in a position where there are multiple relationships and multiple people's feelings and timelines and schedules involved, it just, and there is such a thing, people think, oh, well, if I'm in an open relationship, I can do absolutely anything I want. <laughs> right. No, you still you still have to have boundaries and yeah. negotiations. And it is still possible to, um, to cheat inside yeah. an open relationship if you have certain boundaries and you violate them. Right. So. Yeah. And toward the end of that relationship, he did cheat. And I was like, we've been together for seven years and we've had all these boundaries and I've been pretty flexible and still you cheat, you know, like that's, Mm. you know, that's just beyond the pale. Um, But the biggest thing that I realized in that particular relationship with that particular person was one, he wanted to be non-monogamous because he was not, um, how do I say this? Um, He just didn't have the ability to be committed. And that was his own stuff that he had not Mm -hmm. processed. Um, So that was good, because I realized it was not about me, which I thought it was about me for a long time. But the piece that made me think about that it was about me was that the other women he wanted to be involved with always looked like the 10 year younger version of me. Ah. And that was really hard, because it just felt really hurtful that I wasn't somehow, you know, cute enough, young enough, available enough what you know whatever yeah that so he wanted the younger version of me and that you know it just hurt yeah what did cheating look like inside your particular relationship agreements um so the situation that happened was that there was another woman in our community who um I actually think she was not in an open relationship. I think she was in a monogamous relationship. So they both cheated. Um, But he, 
started to have feelings for her. And our, our rules were that first he had to talk to me first and I had to be his primary. And so if it was someone that he felt that would threaten our primary status, then that was a hard no for me. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, first of all, he got involved with her and was not talking to me about not physically involved with her at first, but like he started getting to know her and he wasn't telling me about it. And, and then he realized, he told me all this later, he realized he was starting to have strong feelings for her. He didn't tell me about it. Mm. And then he did ask me if he could get together with her. And I was like, I don't know, something feels off about that. And so I said, no. And then he did it anyway. So it was like layers of, you know, red flags that happened. Yeah. And then he ended up ending our relationship because she didn't want to be non-monogamous. She wanted to be in a monogamous relationship. So he ended his relationship with me so that he could be with her. And then she dumped him. So I was like, ha ha. <laughs> that didn't work out the way you wanted. <laughs> Karma's a bitch. Pretty, I was pretty done by with the whole situation by then. So it was, yeah. you know, it was, we were past time to be on our own. Yeah. <laughs> at that point. You uh, you told me before we started um, taping that you are bisexual, yeah. and we haven't really touched on that at all. Yeah. So can uh, I guess I'll sort of throw those doors wide open. At what point did you discover that, and and what is that dynamic for you? Yeah, um, so it was during that period of non monogamy that that I came out as bisexual, and so I think it was part of being around that scene of people who were just, you know, everybody was sleeping with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It was just like, it was very fluid, you know, yeah. that there were bisexual men and bisexual women. And, you know, we were all using condoms, but it was very, like, you could not really tell who was paired with who sometimes. Uh, and it may change day by day. Um, and, my partner was really intrigued by the idea of being with two women at the same time. And I was curious, but not brave enough to approach a woman by myself. Um, So we tried it. We experimented with it. And I was like, wow, this is cool. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like this. Could you leave boyfriend? So that we could do it by ourselves. but we did not have the same taste in women. So that came out pretty early that the Ooh. girls he wanted to go out with were not the girls I wanted to go out with because they all looked <laughs> just like me and I didn't really want to have sex with myself. <laughs> I had a different taste. Um, but thinking back on it, I I really think that I had been attracted to women for a long, long time and I had no context for it. So mm. I just sort of chalked it up as that's a weird feeling and didn't didn't ever, you know, try to pursue it. Um, I knew about lesbian relationships when I was younger, although I didn't know any lesbians in my small town. I don't remember ever meeting a gay or lesbian couple. Um, But I did did not know that bisexuality was an option. Like it, it had never occurred to me that you could be someone who liked both men and women. I thought that either you liked your own gender or you liked the opposite gender and that was it, that it was a binary situation. So it wasn't until that period when I was involved 
with when I was in this relationship and then living in a community where there were all sorts of ranges of attraction. You know, there were people who were very lesbian and people who were very gay and, and people who were all across the range, the Kinsey scale, um, that I realized that there were actually a lot more options and that I could explore other things. And, and after that relationship, after my boyfriend broke up with me for this other woman, I did wonder if maybe I actually was a lesbian because our sex life had been very lame for a long time. Hmm. So I started dating women exclusively for a little while. Um, but I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't really my thing either. Hmm. I liked women a lot, but I yeah. also liked men. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's so interesting to hear you say that about the um, not knowing bisexuality was an option. You're, I had exactly that same experience and have never heard anybody else share that story mm. that I, we had a lot of gay people around in my childhood. So I always knew that that was okay. That was never a question for me. Um, but I thought you either had to be straight or gay. I had no container whatsoever for anything other than that. So as soon as I started developing attractions for women, my only container for that was, well, I must be a lesbian, right. Right. but I was still attracted to men. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of shame around that because I thought that I was the weird, broken, perverted one. Right. 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 Yeah. Which goes back to that first story of yeah. right, looking at sex. Yeah, exactly. And, and I live in Santa Cruz, which, uh, I was later married to a woman, so we can come back to that in a second. But uh, she described Santa Cruz as lesbian Mecca. <laughs> like she moved here from the East Coast because, oh my God, there are lesbians in Santa Cruz. <laughs> and there are, there are a lot of lesbians in Santa Cruz. So when I thought, well, maybe I'm a lesbian, I just sort of fell into the lesbian community. And what I discovered very, very quickly, at least at that point in time, I've heard it's different now, but at that point in time in the mid 2000s, bisexuals were not welcome there. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to date women in Santa Cruz, I had to be a lesbian. I couldn't yeah. be bisexual. And they men bashed a lot. And there was um, a lot of butches and femmes, which I also think has changed in the queer community. There's a lot, mm -hmm. lot more uh, fluidity in gender expression. But at that time, we had butches and we had femmes. And there were a rising number of butches who were transitioning to be men. And mm -hmm. so there was a lot of backlash in the lesbian community that they were turning into men. Oh my God, we hate men. So that was uh, really weird. Yeah. Um, and I would get offended a lot by the male bashing because I still loved men. I had mm -hmm. men that I'd been in relationships that I loved. I had a brother and a father and, you know, like, I had friends that were men that I loved and I just thought it was not cool. And I was not <laughs> taken well. <laughs> you are so speaking my language. <laughs> During my period of believing that I was a lesbian, I, I went to, uh, for part of that, I was living in Boston and I went to um, a center where they had some groups uh and one of them was for lesbians. And I went, and I remember there being another woman in the group who looked around the room and said, even in this room, I feel like I have to come out as bisexual. 
and know that I'm not going to be accepted. And I was like, Oh, my God, like, I, I didn't quite have the self knowledge at that point to understand that, Oh, my God, yeah, me too. But I knew that I was super attracted to her and her way of thinking. Yeah. And then later, I was living in New Hampshire. And wow, northern New Hampshire is not a good place to try to date women. (laughs) But um, I went to a a lesbian meetup, and they were watching movies. And every time a man came on the screen, there was booing and hissing. And um, there was this whole conversation about how um, the reproduction cycle for cats is there's no such thing as cats having mutual intercourse. The girl cats are always raped. And I was like, something about that makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. It was really confusing and disturbing to me that there was so much animosity towards men And, you know, to some extent, I can understand if you are, when you are the um, men run the world. Yeah. And men make life really difficult in some ways. I'm I'm getting off track in a way that's really uncomfortable because well, I don't you, like making big generalists. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. There two things I want to say here. One is that in my work – as a coach now, I talk a lot about the patriarchy and how harmful it is to women. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that as male bashing because it's hurting the men too, right? It's not good for any of us. Yes. Um, And it's hard when you're raising children that the expectation is that all of the caretaking is going to be the woman. And it's hard on the woman when the expectation is that the man brings home the money and the woman stays home with the baby. Like we're naturally more caring Mm. or even that we want to be at home with the baby. Some of us (laughs) don't want to do that. Um, So yeah, I I get what you're saying about the larger container of the patriarchy being a problem and that men running the world is a problem. And also I see that as separate from male bashing in the way that I saw male bashing in the lesbian community. But the other thing I want to say is that in that community, I recognize that many of those women had been violently injured by men. They had been raped. They had been beaten. They had been violently raped. Mm -hmm. And I get that when that is your experience of manhood, you don't want anything to do with it. So I had a lot of empathy for that. But I also don't think that separatism helps. And I think it's like frozen healing, you know, like Mm -hmm. they got far enough away so that they could live their lives, but they were not healing the wounds that they were carrying with them Mm -hmm. and that they were never going to be whole people until they could accept that there are, there could be good men and that bad men had done something bad to them, but that didn't mean all men were bad. That is so beautifully said. (laughs) Yeah. I had an experience of dating a woman who, had been pretty violently abused, both beaten and raped by various different men in her life. And at that point, I had gotten strong enough to say I am bisexual and be out about it. And I remember her saying to me once that she thought I was really brave and courageous because she wasn't brave enough to say that she was 
bisexual. It was oh, easier wow. for her to identify as a butch lesbian and just leave it alone mm-hmm. and never think about it than it was to admit that she actually still was attracted to men sometimes. And that, that was hard to hear, you know, because first of all, I didn't think of myself as particularly brave. I was just pissed. <laughs> I was like, this isn't fair. Um, but also that she didn't think she had the courage to even say, sometimes I like men. Like that seems like such a fairly innocuous thing to be able to say, but she lived in a community where it was so negative to like men that she couldn't even say it. And that made me really sad. Yeah. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Good Girls Talk About Sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. So you are now in a committed monogamous relationship. Yeah, with a man. (laughs) With a man? (laughs) And do you have kids? We do. We have an eight-year-old together. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what is your sex life like with your husband? Or not your husband? You are. Yeah, we're not we're married. Not, we are not married. And um, with your partner. Yeah. So let me just speak to the not married part a little bit because that's kind of a, an interesting piece of the story. Um, so I was before him. I was married to a woman, although not married because it was not legal at that time in California. We were married just before it became legal here. And um, 
he was married prior to me as well. And so we came to this relationship going, marriage is kind of a mess. Like the institution (laughs) of marriage is kind of a mess. (laughs) Um, So we both came into it saying, we, I really like you. I'm really committed to you. We're going to have a kid together. We're going to, you know, buy a car together, own a house, you know, like we're going to do all the things, but let's just not get married. And over the years we have come to a place where like, yeah, we could get married, but we already do all the things. You know? so <laughs> it's, like it's become this interesting neutral for us. So maybe someday we'll get married. Um, <laughs> We also have this idea, like we want to get married in Ireland, in Standing Stones, and like that's hard. <laughs> the coordination is hard. Um, yeah, so I'm in this now committed relationship. I knew that I wanted to be in a monogamous relationship. It's been some time for me, so I was in a monogamous relationship with my wife, um, and that was a hard relationship in a lot of ways. But the monogamy was good. Like I liked that part of it. So I knew that I wanted to continue that, that this was the right, that was the right path for me. So um, when I met my partner um, and he is a monogamous person, like not even a question for him, he's always been very monogamous. Um, So it was, it was kind of just not even an issue. We decided we were, we wanted to be together and that was just how it was. Mm hmm. And so how has your sexual relationship developed over your years together? We have always had very good sex, the two of us. Um, he is he is someone who is uh, interested in my pleasure that does not feel like it's about his ego. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's part of his sexual pleasure for me to be aroused. So like that young man in my youth where it's like, I'm giving him a gift. Yeah. It feels much more like that. But we didn't come together until we were in our forties. So we came with a lot of skills. Yes. (laughs) And that has been amazing for us. And, and not just skills, but um, self-awareness of our own pleasure. Uh a willingness to have those awkward conversations <laughs> that you have when you're learning someone else's body. Does this feel good? Like that feels weird. No, it's not. <laughs> um, and his personality is just, he is just so even keeled and open and accepting. I mean, one of the things that, I was attracted to in him from the beginning before we even like date, we worked together. So I knew him for quite a long time before we um, started actually dating, but he is someone who just accepts you as you are. No questions Mm. asked everybody. He's just, he's curious about people. He doesn't have judgment. You know, he's just, he's kind of an unusual person that way. And so I always felt like, with him, I could show up exactly as I was. And that continued into the bedroom. Mm. So I had come out of two relationships in a row, two long relationships in a row where I felt like I had to perform as the person my partner wanted me to be, both in the bedroom and out of it. And 
when I got with, when I started seeing my current partner or even just getting to know my current partner, what I realized right away is that I didn't have to be anybody except who I was. And that was really interesting because it actually took me a while to figure out who I was because I'd been performing for so long, but he gave me lots of space and he was, you know, he just has that natural curiosity. So he was like, who's in there? <laughs> Let's figure <laughs> her out. You know? um, and so that, continues to the bedroom because I don't feel like I have to perform. I don't feel like I have to have an orgasm in a particular way or make particular noises or enjoy myself or not, you know, like on a day when I'm not feeling like it, that's cool too, you know, Mm -hmm. no pressure. So it's just been a very easy, we have a lot of easiness between us, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's not just in the bedroom. It's like our whole relationship is like that. And so it extends to the bedroom. Having been in committed relationships with women mm-hmm. and now being in a committed relationship with a man, um, there, I think there is a common belief that if you are bisexual, that means that you need to have both in yeah. order to be satisfied. Yeah, so what is your experience of that? My experience of bisexuality is that gender is a non-issue for me. So I fall in love with the person and not their parts. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's not like I need the balance. And I know for some bisexual people, it's different. So this is just my personal experience. Yep. But I don't need to balance one with the other. If I'm in love with a man, then I'm perfectly happy with man parts. If I'm in love with a woman, I'm perfectly happy with woman parts. Um, I do think that there was one anomaly with that. And that was when I really, really wanted to become a mother. And I was of an age where my body was like reaching sort of the end of the window of natural, Mm -hmm. easy fertility. Um, I did start getting attracted to men much more. And I was still in a relationship with a woman, but it felt sort of outside of me in the way that sometimes hormonal stuff does where it's like, Whoa, what's happening? That's weird. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And it didn't make me like want to have an affair with a man. It was just like, I just started noticing men all over the place (laughs) (laughs) and like not even having interactions with them. Just like, whoa, he's hot, you know? (laughs) And and I remember thinking like, wow, my body. And it was sort of like, you know, how in your cycle you have, you know, certain days when you're super horny. It sort of felt like that where it was sort of like, whoa, what's, what is this? This feels weird. Um, So, I, I, it may have been semi-intentional that my next partner was a man because I wanted to have a baby, but also he was the person that I really liked and he wanted to have a baby too. So like there were a lot of, you know, a lot of factors there that are hard to tease apart. So how did your experience of sex change, if at all, after having a child? It definitely changes things. Um, so I had a, a vaginal birth. So that's that's an important factor, I think, to mention, because I think that women who have um, a C-section or a particularly traumatic birth have different experiences. I had um, a very long labor, but not particularly traumatic and that I wasn't injured. I didn't have stitches, you know, um, I did have medic. I, I did have to have, um, pain medication, um, 
but I didn't have surgery. So I recovered fairly quickly from the birth. And I did not want to have sex for a long time. Mm. (laughs) Um, I remember my doctor saying that to not have sex for like six weeks, which is, I think, the standard guideline to not have intercourse for six weeks. And I remember being really relieved, like, oh, I don't have to think about this for a while. And, and we had had sex all the way through my pregnancy. So it wasn't like I, like we hadn't been together and I wasn't enjoying it. Like we'd been having hot sex, like all the way up to my labor. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think my midwife suggested we have sex to get my labor moving because it was going so uh-huh. slow. <laughs> I don't think we did that because I was in a lot of pain, but we considered it. Um, but once that baby arrived, she was my my everything. She was my yeah. whole world. She was breastfeeding. She was she is a very physical and clingy. Clingy is not really the right word, but she she is a very close child with me like our relationship is that she needs to be with me all the time in fact she's eight mm-hmm. years old now and this morning when I went and wake her up sorry um, I can't do that sorry Siri thinks I'm talking to her <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Siri. Um, Siri is also a needy child Siri is also a needy child <laughs> um when I went to wake her up this morning she smiled like before she even opened her eyes and she said she said mama I try to keep my face normal but I smile as soon as you open the door and and I was like you know you have done that since you were a tiny baby like you used to wake up from your nap and you'd just be like like the light had gone on in your face and she said yeah because you make me happy so it's all positive and sweet but it meant that she was on my body 24 7. Yeah. So I was not interested in being touched at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't communicate that very well. So in mm-hmm. retrospect, I think that I I should have communicated that better because there were definitely nights when we were co-sleeping when, you know, I would nurse the baby to sleep and then he'd be like, hey, babe. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, all right, let's get it over with, which is not the way I want to have sex with my mm-hmm. lover. And that's not the kind of sex we normally have. But it was How very- long did it? How long did it take you to get back to something you would call a regular sex life that you were enjoying? It was it was probably a year before it felt like I was regularly enjoying it. And there were definitely spots of, you know, I was more interested or less interested, but it was probably a good year. And that and I really think that that was breastfeeding. I think that those breastfeeding hormones really, you know, they make you focus on your baby and mm-hmm. the hormones are there for a reason. So you don't get pregnant again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> too soon, you know. <laughs> Your body's nourishing one baby, you can't be nourishing two. Yeah. Do you looking back on it because I know these are things that you think about based on the work that you yeah. do. Um looking back on it, are there ways that you think you could have maintained intimacy with your partner while still feeling like I'm really not ready for you to touch me yet? I think so. Yeah. And and also I think that I could have parented differently also to foster that connection with him. So I, as much as we both wanted to co-sleep, I sort of regret co-sleeping. Like Mm. I think that I did not sleep well for a long time because the baby was in our bed and it certainly gave us no space that was adult space. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that even if she had just slept in a crib next to our bed, it would have been better for us to have our bed be adult space. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I think also that there were other factors going on. He had a teenage son that lived with us and things were really bumpy between me and him. So there, there was a lot of fighting and stress going on in our house. Um, but I think that I would have liked to just have a lot more conversation with him, like grown up conversation. We did not do a good, I should say, I did not go do a good job. No, I'm, I'm not going to take all the credit for that. <laughs> we did not do a good job of, balancing our parenting roles in the beginning. I did not feel like I could ask for his help because I was the stay-at-home parent. So I thought I had to do everything. I had to do all the naps. I had to do all the bedtimes. I had to do, you know, all those stuff. And if I had asked, he would have definitely been happy to help me out in different ways. Um, And I think he did not offer because I have the strong outspoken personality and he thought I was just doing it the way I wanted to do it. Hmm. And I was just doing it because I thought I had to do it that way. So that Mm -hmm. has taken me years to unwind. So I think that if, if I had asked for more help and felt more supported, I would have had more mental space to have a more of a mental connection with him. And that has always been a thing between us that, is really important that I, I don't want to have sex with him unless I feel connected with him. And that comes through conversation. And so we were not talking <laughs> like hardly mm-hmm. at all, <laughs> except about the baby for like three years. And wow. so that was really hard for us. We felt really disconnected from each other. Mm-hmm. And how did you come back together? Well, there's a whole long, complicated story that we probably don't have time to get into all those details. But in that period of time, he he has an older daughter who he does not have custody of, and he has a very complex relationship with her mother and very unclear custody arrangement. So there was a period of time where he was leaving us a lot to go see his daughter, not necessarily with my permission or my blessing. Um, And then I had a lot of illness. I'm trying to abbreviate the story because it's a complicated (laughs) story. I had a lot of illness. We tried to have more babies. I had a couple of miscarriages. I had some other more serious illness. I eventually was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, And then I had a year of treatment that was very intense for all of us. Our daughter was four when that happened. And at the end of that year, he, for reasons I think we don't either one of us entirely understand, but he chose to move out of our house for a while and go live with his ex who he doesn't have a relationship relationship with anymore, but she won't allow him to see their daughter unless Mm -hmm. he's there physically. Mm -hmm. So he went to live with them for a while And so we were separated for two and a half years off and on. Um, So actually we haven't really come back together until just like the last six months. 
fully. Mm -hmm. So he's living at home again. I I mean, we had some great sex in there, (laughs) (laughs) but like the sort of sex that you have when you haven't seen each other for a really long time and you're really kind of mad at each other, like that kind of great Um. It was, I mean, it wasn't all bad. We had some some good interludes in there, but, you know, we weren't living together. So mm-hmm. it was far between and he's, he's moved back in now. And so the bigger picture of what brought us back together was a lot of therapy, both individual and couples therapy and really getting clear about what we wanted our life together to look like hmm. and really getting through talking about all those hurt places. And some of those hurt places were prior to our relationship, like the hurt places that we came to the relationship with Mm -hmm. and really airing that stuff out. So that's like, you know, that's a lot. So people listening to this and if you, you know, are are like, Oh my gosh, my relationship is never going to get to that point. You might, but also not everybody needs all that. (laughs) We needed it, but (laughs) Most relationships don't have that much stuff going on. We had a lot of stuff going on that we had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because you just brought up breast cancer, would like to ask you some questions about that. But sure. I also want to be cognizant of the time because we're running longer than I expected. Are you okay in terms of time or yeah. do you need to go? No, I'm good. Okay. So you just mentioned that you have gone through breast cancer. Um how did that affect your relationship with your body and yeah. therefore your relationship with sex? Yeah. So in my case, it has not physically changed my body very much. So the kind, the particular kind of cancer I had was not hormonal. So that's important because that changes the kind of treatment that I had to receive. It was very aggressive, but happens that this particular kind of aggressive protein um, is also very treatable. Mm -hmm. So the treatment was very hardcore. I started with chemotherapy. I had surgery. I had radiation. The chemotherapy was very intense. Um, It was every three weeks for six months. I lost my hair. I lost all my hair, like my eyelashes and my eyebrows and everything. Nose hair. (laughs) The things you don't (laughs) even know you have hair. Um, (laughs) And, but when I got to um, surgery, the tumor was fairly small to start with. And so they had only ever recommended that I had a, have a partial mastectomy, which is that I did not lose my whole breast. And then when they did the surgery, they actually only found scar tissue and no more cancer cells. So that was oh, wow. like, you know, the best case scenario. Um, so my body is not really very different than before cancer. I have uh, my breast is slightly flat on the bottom on one side, but I can wear the same bra. I don't need a, um, what's it called? The prosthetic. I don't need a prosthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I'm very lucky that my physical body, I did not have to change my relationship with my physical body. And many, many, most breast cancer survivors do. So I just want to be clear about that, that my experience is very different from many breast Mm -hmm. cancer survivors. Um, However, I was very angry at my body and I lost faith in my body because I felt like it had turned on me in a way. Mm. And in addition, 
during my chemotherapy because I wanted, I went into chemotherapy thinking that I wanted to try to have another baby post cancer. I didn't in the end, but I wanted to have the option. Mm -hmm. So they put me into chemical menopause during the course of my chemotherapy. So, and there's this a whole, this is a whole other conversation, but because I was 44, 43, something like that, there's not a lot of research about fertility and women in that age zone. So there's, there's an increasing amount of research on women going through chemotherapy who um, lose their fertility and they have, they are developing lots of ways to help those women because chemotherapy can often just cause you to go into menopause and you never return. There wasn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of science about women who are close to menopause like I am. So they didn't really know what was going to happen. So it was a very sort of like, well, maybe you can have a baby after, maybe not. We don't really know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. So they put me into chemical menopause and they said there was a good chance I would not come out of, of menopause even after they stopped the medication. Um, but I did. My period came back right on schedule after they stopped the medication. My cycle has changed. It's like six days shorter than it used to be, which is weird. Wow. Um, but it's regular. It's fine. Maybe I'm fertile. I don't know. I didn't try to get pregnant, so I don't really know. <laughs> um, so there was that whole piece of I I have experienced menopause and now I'm back not in menopause, which is weird, you know? Mm. So, um, so sex during that period was sort of like a preview of what my later life is going to be. And it was not awesome. So Mm. I I sort of have this dread of when I actually hit menopause, sex may not be fun anymore, which I, I don't think is true, but I have this belief about it that it's going to be not, it's not going to feel good. I'm not going to be able to um, get lubricated easily. It's going to be super hard to have an orgasm, like all these things that happen, which, you know, I was also in chemo. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> so Your body was factors, going through a thing. My brain is like in there, like, this is what menopause is going to feel like. And hopefully yeah. menopause is not going to feel like chemo. That would be awful. But um, yeah, I have that connection with it. So, so that's, that's probably my main piece of, you know, how my, how I feel differently about my body. Now, because I did not have hormonal, a hormonal type of cancer, I, I do not have to take those for the rest of your life medications that um, women who have a hormonal type of breast cancer have to basically go into menopause early to suppress the cancer returning. And I didn't have to do that. So my body is back to my body. Like I got my body back. Good. Yeah. I'm happy for you. (laughs) Well, on that light note, (laughs) (laughs) um, I want to transition into the Mm Q&A. So like I told you before, this is more rapid fire, but please don't feel like you can't give full answers if you want to. You're absolutely welcome to. Okay. All right. What kind of touch do you enjoy most? Um, gentle touch, usually. Although I, I recognize that in my relationship with my partner, I am the strong one in our relationship, and he's the sort of soft spoken, gentle person in our relationship. And 
in bed, I really like to reverse those roles. So that's not mm-hmm. necessarily touch, but sometimes like I want him to be more firm with me than he would normally be. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. What are your hard red lines sexually? Pain when it is not invited. Lying. Mm. And not responding to my no. Mm. Are there sexual things you've tried that you never want to do again? I can't see myself being monogamous again. I mean, non-monogamous again. But who knows? Um, I had a partner who really enjoyed being spanked. And although I could clearly see that it brought her a great deal of pleasure, it did not feel good for me. Mm-hmm. Do you have sex during your period? I do. And that's new with this partner. With this mm-hmm. first time in my life, I've, been, I've actually enjoyed it as with my current partner. Do you know what changed for you? Um, I think it was mostly his comfort with it. Mm. And again, you know, just his like, he doesn't judge, he doesn't get weird about things. Like he was just like, whatever, it's just blood, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a towel, no biggie. You know, it was like, his, it was just a non-issue, which yeah. made me think like, oh, maybe it could be a non-issue. <laughs> yeah. What's the approximate number of sex partners you've had? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. probably somewhere between 20 and 30. Do you prefer clit stimulation or penetration? Clit stimulation, definitely. What's your favorite way to orgasm? With a hand, a tongue, a toy, a penis or strap-on? I think it really depends on my partner. Because at various times, I think my favorite has changed. So that mm. I feel like that's dependent on who, who I'm with and maybe what their skills are, what our comfort is. Currently, um, with a vibrator and penetration. Mm-hmm. Being penetrated by the vibrator or vibrator no, externally? Externally, yeah. External separate vibrator. penetration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you orgasm from intercourse alone? No. Do you prefer the orgasm from masturbating or from sex with another person? Definitely sex with another person. I hardly ever masturbate anymore. I just mm. find it to be lonely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I feel like I learned a great deal by masturbating. I learned a great deal about my body, but I have passed that knowledge on to my partner and I would really rather just have sex with him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. (laughs) Have you ever faked an orgasm? I have. Probably quite many, many, many times. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have hair down there or are you bare? Um, Now I have hair. I've gone through periods where I've been not completely, but partially bare. Mm. 
And you prefer hair? Um, I have less hair than I used to post-chemo. Not all my mm-hmm. hair grew back. I preferred bare because of how it felt for me. Um, but after chemo, I didn't bother starting to shave again. And my partner said he didn't care. And I didn't have as much hair. So it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Um, so yeah, now it's fine. I wonder if um, after the experience of losing all your hair with chemo, you're kind of like, maybe you're more attached to it. I've yeah. Got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I just think it's more, um, I mean, my hair didn't grow back. Uh, it's fine on my head, but like, I don't, my eyelashes didn't grow back. My eyebrows didn't mm. quite grow back all the way. So I, I actually do think there is just less of it. So yeah. Um, have you ever had a threesome or more? Yes, I have. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah, I did. It was a little weird. Like I, it was like self-conscious. Mm. Have you ever had public sex? Um, I've had sex in a public bathroom once, but it was in the middle of the night and nobody else was around. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> well, it counts if somebody could have walked in on you. Someone could have walked in on us, but nobody did. <laughs> was it exciting to you for that reason? Um, yeah, I, it was. So it was when I was with my wife and I made her come. So I was fully dressed and I was not the one who was being aroused. Mm. So it was, it was hot and that she was turned on by the thought of being caught. Um, but I didn't really feel like I was risking anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> what was your first experience of porn? Well, I found those books of erotica when I was pretty young. That's probably my first experience. Um, Video porn. I think I had a partner who said, hey, this might be fun. Let's watch it together. So it was in the context of a partnership. And was it fun? It was weird. I have always felt with porn that I, I find that I get aroused but it's disconnected so Mm. it's like my body's being aroused without you know like like i was talking about the the mental and physical connection it's like i have the physical response without any mental response and it just feels Mm. very strange yeah do you enjoy giving blowjobs depends on the person but yeah generally when you do do you swallow i have not my favorite thing, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> do you enjoy receiving oral sex? Yes. How do you feel about receiving ass play? Um, I've done it. I've enjoyed it. Um, not part of my current sex life. Um, do you miss it? A little. Yeah. Hmm. How do you feel about giving ass play? Um, have not done a lot of that. I've never been with a man who's been interested. And uh, the women I've been with 
um, have been less comfortable with it. Mm. So a little bit Are of experimentation, but yeah, a little, mm-hmm. but not, um, yeah. Yeah. Sort of neutral. What's the kinkiest thing you enjoy? Um, well, I have to say that my sex life is way less kinky than it used to be, (laughs) 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 which is totally fine with me. Um, so what I enjoy now, I would not consider kinky at all. Um, you know, like the kinky stuff I enjoy now is like pain, a slight pain to my nipples, Mm -hmm. um, which it feels so vanilla. Um, I don't know what have I enjoyed. It's an interesting thing, though. It's all based on perspective. Totally. Because yeah. somebody who has had a very traditional, quote unquote, vanilla sex life might find pain to their nipples to be kind of edgy and extreme. Yeah. yeah. Whereas somebody who has been in and around the BDSM scene would right. be like, yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's all based on perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and I've certainly tried kinky things that I didn't particularly enjoy. So, you know, I feel like I've tried lots of kinky things, but I didn't really get all that into them. I I think I enjoyed restraint. I enjoyed being restrained mm-hmm. and stimulated in whatever various ways. Mm-hmm. Do you miss that? Not particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever worry about your taste or smell? Hardly ever. Once in a while, but yeah, hardly ever. Uh, do you think that you orgasm quickly or take a long time? I feel like I take a long time. And what does that mean to you? What is a long time? <sighs> Half an hour or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because this is something that's been coming up in my conversation with my partner recently because I have been feeling very self conscious about it. And he thinks it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I keep saying, I'm sorry, it took me so long to come. And he's like, whatever. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Again, perspective. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the reason that I'm self-conscious about it is because I feel like it has changed for me. Mm. And... I suspect that it is partly a side effect of a, um, an antidepressant that I take. Uh-huh. So it doesn't feel normal to me, and that's why it bothers me. Mm-hmm. But from you know a sexual partner pleasure perspective, it's really, apparently, it's not an issue. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still having orgasms, so it's still, you know, it could be worse. You know, that's actually a topic I haven't covered with anyone in these conversations is um, the effects of antidepressants. And it's something that I'm very familiar with as well. I've been on one for quite a while. Um, And it it is actually a a factor. Yeah. And and it's a factor for me because it's frustrating. Because it feels Mm -hmm. like there are times when I'm just like, I don't want to work that hard to have an orgasm. And that sucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. And yet when I balance it against my emotional stability, right. I'm like, I, yeah. emotional stability right. wins. I could be crazy or I could take yeah. a long time. <laughs> <laughs> all in all, it measures just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Do you enjoy dirty talk during sexual encounters? Not particularly. 
Do you yeah. enjoy laughter? Oh, yeah, I was just I was just kind of thinking that through. Partly that yeah. is, I mean, I've I've done it. I've had partners who do it, and it's it's not like a turn off, but it's not a particular turn on. But my gotcha. partner now would never do that. Like mm. it's just not his personality at all. So, and I've been with him now for eleven years. So, it just feels odd to me <laughs> to even <laughs> consider. <laughs> Do you enjoy laughter during sexual encounters? Very much. Yeah. Mm. Have you ever had a sexual urge that confused you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think over the course of my life, different things have confused me. I mean, back to that very, from the very beginning of our conversation, just the fact that I got aroused by a book confused me. Mm. Um when I was first experimenting with anal play, that felt very confusing. Being attracted to a woman felt very confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, Being in a sexual encounter with more than one person was confusing. So yeah, there have been different things that felt confusing. And sometimes the confusion was like, oh, actually, I enjoy this. And sometimes the confusion was like, actually, I don't. Mm -hmm. So it, it always has been a marker for me to like, pay attention here. There's something that I need to learn. Hmm. What is something about your current sex life that isn't 100% satisfying as much as you'd like it to be? Taking so long to have an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, that's really it. <laughs> <laughs> what is something you fantasize about but have never asked for in real life? The only thing I can think of is um, is experimenting with pegging. Mm. And I don't think my current partner has any interest in that. So may or may not ever happen. But that's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of. Mm. What is a myth about sex that you've had to unlearn? So many. um i mean there's and again a lot of this is perspective right so there's in some circles people who are bisexual are promiscuous there's that one Mm. and it's not that i had to unlearn it it was more like oh maybe i had to unlearn it i guess it, it you know when I came out as bisexual, I was like, oh, I guess that means I have to have a lot of sex. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I'm still me. <laughs> um, there's, and I think there's like the deeper, older ones that are part family story and part cultural story about what what it means to be a woman who enjoys sex. Mm. that you're a bad girl, that you're shameful, mm-hmm. that you're dirty. You know, I've, I've definitely, I've done a lot of work over my life unteasing those. So I don't know if that yeah. counts as a myth, but that's, that's what comes up when you ask that question. Absolutely. We have done it. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry um, it took me so long. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I'm I enjoyed every moment of it. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, this has been a delightful and fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. 
has been really interesting. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Osiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. Hold up. 